Hey, welcome back all. Today's guest wants all of us to be the CEOs of our own lives, and he talks about the responsibility necessary to do just that. Mr. Kenneth Kelly is the CEO and chairman of the First Independence Bank, one of the largest African-American-owned banks in the country and the world. Really, really good guy. Fascinating background. Grew up in Alabama, went to the University of Auburn, where he got an engineering degree, spent years working in the utility business before retiring to then get into the banking business. He has his MBA from the University of Alabama, and he covers a diverse range of topics from you know, the qualities that were infused into him by his parents and what that means as a parent himself. He says, if you're not growing, then you're dying and what it means to be successful and how exactly do we reinvent ourselves over time. Talks about the wealth gap. This was really fascinating. You know, we talk a lot about this wealth gap, but most of the prescribed solutions address the symptoms. They don't go after the root. And his approach really is a whole mindset shift, which I think is so brilliant and so elegant because it it's a simple way of potentially altering this wealth gap. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, obviously, but altering over the coming decades. He tells a wonderful story of Osella McCarthy and how one woman, a washerwoman, can change the trajectory of hundreds of people's lives. So as always, thanks for joining us. And if you could hit the subscribe button or the like button or the five-star button, we would greatly appreciate that. And so here's my discussion with Mr. Kenneth Kelly. Mr. Kelly, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to meet you and uh, great to have you on. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got quite the interesting background. You grew up down south and were in the utility business. You're now the CEO of a one of the largest African-American-owned banks in the country, probably the world for that matter. Um, you've, you're an author. You're a parent. You've got you know, a lot going on. Um, so give us a little bit about your leadership journey. You know, How did you get to become a, a CEO? Well, I, I would tell you, as you know, leadership is really a life journey story. And uh, for me, it really started home. All of the qualities that I have uh, basically are qualities that uh, were infused in me, if I could use that term loosely, by my parents. And, you know, you learn from them. You learn how they manage things. You learn how they, you know, react to things. And part of that demeanor becomes part of your kind of DNA, so to speak, as a leader. And over the years, what I could tell you is what I I've always focused on is thinking about others probably more than I thought about myself. Um, understanding that giving is a part of living. Those are all have been, I would call it core ethoses of, of the way that I've tried to live my life. And so that has been, I would tell you, the, the foundation of when you think about, you know, someone says, Kenneth Kelly, who is he? Uh, that's kind of part of who I am. And so uh, I Translate that into, of course, how do you acquire a skill set and the ability to learn and demonstrate that you can add value in, into a society. And I did that by attending Auburn University and uh, becoming an electrical engineer, worked for the utilities we talked about. And the beauty of that in that company was I had a chance to really work across 
many different aspects of the business from engineering to marketing to corporate finance to human resources, supply chain management, business development, all the way up and into mergers and acquisitions. But the point I'm making is back to leadership style and attributes, all of those kind of move and evolve along the way uh, to help you become the person that you, you end up becoming. Yeah. And I, I, I hear a lot in that, you know, I hear obviously a, it sounds like a very solid upbringing with some, probably some pretty amazing parents, I would guess. Um, and also this desire to keep trying new things, to keep, ex, you know, taking on new responsibilities, not, not just sticking with engineering, for instance, that was my, my degree from the university of Michigan, by the way, was engineering. Um, right. And clearly I'm not doing any engineering today, um, but to, to take on new opportunities, to take on new possibilities and to see where those take you. So maybe talk a little bit about that and, and your philosophy when it comes to taking on a new challenge. Yeah, I, I would tell you fundamentally, I, I believe if you're not growing, you're dying. And part of the getting back to my ethos of trying to learn new things, understanding how to stretch yourself came from my upbringing of learning and acquiring the desire to read. Um, I was certainly not one who you would probably say just love to read as I was growing up. But as I became a little bit older, I had a, 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 a more of a fun desire to read and understand um, one from a historical perspective, but also from a learning perspective, because we know history has a tendency to repeat itself. But the point I'm making is that in a lot of that reading, uh, you read of different individuals and you will see many of those who have had, if you want to call it successful lives, have demonstrated this ability to learn and to grow and to, in some cases, reinvent themselves. Um, and so if you look at my career path, it has been um, a lot of reinvention or uh, at least trying things that that would be of novel to me at some point in time in my life. And so is part of kind of that that track record that I have that you just made reference to. Mm, I love it. I love it. The power of of reading. I um, I I can appreciate that even at this age in my life. I remember a few years ago I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, it'd be great as if we could get one of those, you know, like really cool reading chairs. You know, like the comfortable, almost like cigar chairs and and a, a reading light. You know, where you could read at night by the fire maybe and. Uh, Cause I had tons of books. I was really good at buying books from Amazon, you know, with my Amazon's prime subscription. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, you could try Tom, you could try reading. <laughs> and uh-huh. It was really an eye-opening, eye-opening moment for me of like, oh yeah, it's not about all the other things. It's about the discipline of reading. And so I went from reading about two or three books a year to now I probably read about 20 books a year, just from wow. that simple, you know, that simple advice of like, taking it seriously. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You could, you know, I, I figured out it would take me about 20 minutes a day. That's about it. Um, to take that dramatic, dramatic growth in my life. Um, so for all of you listeners out there, it's not a, it's not a time excuse. Don't use the time excuse. Like I used to, it's, it's a matter of the, the intentionality and the, and the discipline of it. And that, you know, you, you can tell a lot by a person, by how much they, they read and how much they enjoy that, that growing and learning, like you said, um, and you, you're, you obviously took that sort of mindset, right, of if you're not growing, you're dying, um, all the way to the, to the CEO chair. So what's it like to, to become a CEO and to, to be a CEO in, in this day and age, you know, when we've got still got the pandemic going on, 
it's 2022, you know, the world doesn't seem to be slowing down. What's it like to be a CEO? What advice would you have for, for young yeah. leaders out there? Yeah, I, I would tell you, like a lot of things in life, you know, titles have their place. But when I think about what I do every day, it's not because of I sit there with a title, so to speak. You know, with the re responsibility of sitting in this seat comes exactly that responsibility. And I have to think about the people who really are in my care or in my stead and try to do the things that would most importantly be helpful to them and helping to remove barriers for them so that they can do and grow the way they would want to grow, all in line with the mission of the institution that we are helping to run. And so that's the way that I, I think about it. And so to be candid, you know, getting back to some basic, let's call it personal development or human resources characteristics, all of us are a CEO, right? You're kind of your own chief executive officer, whether you go and decide to become an engineer or a human resources person or an accounting person, you know, you have the responsibility for getting yourself prepared to bring a skill set that others would, would acquire from you. And then most importantly, in a lot of cases, being the CEO of your home, meaning leading your family, whether that's a male or a female. And so, so I think all of us have that skill set in us and, and we demonstrate it in different ways. Uh, the, the question becomes to your broader topic, you know, how do I apply that across an organization, all those life skills in such a way that hopefully helps the organization grow and develop and reach a vision. And so you have to be very, uh, I would say, intentional about that and looking at, you know, where are you right now? Where do you want to go? And then try to figure out what are those steps to help you get there? Yeah, I love that idea of CEO of your, your life. You know, I mentioned before we started that my business partner are going to be writing a book this year and, and addressed at CEOs, but we really want it to be practical down to that, that level too, where anybody that wants to become a CEO or that maybe doesn't want to, but they want to be the CEO of their own life can, can use to, as, a, as a platform for growth. Um, and I think a lot of folks haven't even been exposed to this idea. You know, we're too, we're too quick maybe as a society to look outwardly, you know, and to blame others for our lack of whatever. Um, so what would you say to those folks who don't even, don't even really get this idea of, of being the CEO of their own life? Well, I, I will tell you, you, you're getting to one of those foundational principles of self-development is uh, self-realization, right? You know, kind of understanding what you bring to the table. And, and have we all been there? I'll raise my hand. Absolutely. Have I blamed people for things that I probably should have been responsible for, whether that's competing head to head on a job or, you know, I didn't get that job and are there excuses for or that in, in reality, there are a lot of things that could contribute, contribute to that. And sometimes as humans, we take shortcuts for whatever that may mean for us. Well, maybe I'm not the son of, of such and such, so I didn't get the job, or maybe that person did because of that. And in some cases, those things may be true, but in a lot of cases, they may not be true. And so what I would say is always be willing to take feedback, um, be willing to accept feedback, because even when it hurts, it helps you. And so I have had that to happen on a lot of occasions. And, and sometimes, you know, depending on our own level of maturity, you know, we can be resentful because of someone giving us feedback. But at the end of the day, those who we see who excel and whatever they do, they have had at some point in time, someone who was probably pretty hard on them about mm -hmm. issues that maybe they just couldn't see those blind spots and they help you to overcome some of those barriers. Yeah, so just be 
be open to it, even if it may hurt a little bit, because you can always extract some nugget of gold from the input from some other from other people's feedback, which, you know, I think people can get intellectually, right? We can all say, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, but how do you actually do that, especially if you're sort of emotionally upset, you know, that you didn't get the promotion or whatever? Yeah. And, and that's, again, back to that self-realization. You have to figure out your own level of self-awareness and, and decide, you know, what is important to me? How do I go about, you know, course correcting if I'm here and I want to go there? What are the things that that are going to prevent me from from getting there? And, and there is a book that's titled What Got You Here Won't Get You There, I believe was something of, of the title of this particular book. And the point is that, well, while you've been successful in getting to this point, uh, that will not necessarily translate to success to get you to your next peak or plateau. And so you have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to figure out what does it mean to get the feedback that you need. Um, sometimes that may be from external sources who you think may not have a dog in the hunt. Sometimes it may be from a competitor or a peer who might be willing to share with you what others may see that you can't see. But the bottom line is none of us are perfect. And I think all of us can agree to that principle. Uh, again, I'll raise my hand to that. But it, it is difficult to, to hear that, that you know, your, your, your own baby is ugly, so to speak, and whatever that means to you from a professional uh, perspective. But you have to realize it is bigger than just about you and think through how does it help me become who I want to become and reach that next plateau. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's proven out. It's sort of a timeless advice in many ways. You know, you look at um, the Gulag Acapelago about someone's experience in these horrific, you know, concentration camps um, or the various books from obviously the, the Nazis and, and the horrific things they were doing with those concentration camps that the folks that, um, sort of were able to take the current reality, able to say it and say like, this is, this is not good, but instead of getting, spending all my energy, sort of wasting it on getting upset with other people, what can I do? How can I control my own uh, destiny in a way? Um, and, uh, it, those are those extreme examples, obviously, but they, they tend to uh, be, be helpful, even when it comes to that day-to-day -day interaction, you know, when you yeah. have a, a difficult conversation with someone at work, you can either take that as a negative and sort of ruminate on it and have it ruin your week, or you can stop and sort of say, okay, what could I learn from that? How do I grow out of this experience? And the folks, at least that I've found that are able to do that more effectively, no one's perfect to your point, but the more you can do of that, the more, you know, success you can bring into your own life. So, um, so, um, you said something earlier that uh, I wanted to come back to, but I forget what it was. Um, that's what happens when I, when I start talking too much. Um, so maybe go back to the, to being the CEO. And, and I love that for you, it's clearly not about the title, you know, it's about this opportunity. I think what I hear you saying it to be of service and to, to try to put others first, where does, where does that come from? Well, you know, again, it goes back to, my upbringing, right? You know, here's my reality. I know that um, I will not sit in this seat forever. Uh, I won't be here on this earth forever. So we know those are things that are very true. And so um, the point I'm making is you have to think about what is it 
that you know you want your lasting impact to be. And, and for me, it has been about being of service. I mean, it's one of those that's a foundational principle that is very true that Dr. King has talked about. It's in the Bible, et cetera. So I, I have tried to live by that and, and be sure that my actions align with that as much as possible. There are times it does not. Um, that's the human experience, I think, that all of us have and share is that we're not going to be perfect on that, but that is kind of the destination. And so when I think about, you know, when I will not be here, it has been in terms of what's the legacy, what are the stories that individuals will talk about and, and will think about. And so when I think about the impact to myself, it's always about who was always helpful, who was always of service, who was willing to listen on, on an issue that maybe, you know, you needed some help in, in getting some guidance on. So um, that those have been, I would say, guiding principles of, of mine that I think have become a part of who I am. Mm. And personally, I ascribe and I, I um, infallibly attempt to do the same in my life. Um, but why? Why is it important to you specifically? What is it that has that be such a focus for you? I think it's just DNA, a little bit of wiring. Um you know, uh, I started from a very humble beginning, and so to speak, you know, I've got four generations of ancestors all buried inside of the, the same county in Alabama going all the way back to slavery. And so, you know, understanding and recognize that just becomes a part of, you know, who you are, so to speak. Um, and, and, you know, as we've seen, sometimes those things are controllable and it can be tweaked. Sometimes they're just part of your DNA. You know, we've seen stories where um, someone who becomes a murderer and goes to prison can grow up in the same household where someone becomes a minister and a preacher. Uh, so the point I'm making is that I think all of us have choices to make. We have kind of that foundational DNA and what happens to us and the environment and the things, the environmental factors. But at the end of the day, you get to a point where you start making choices. And then uh, for me, those choices have all started to just align with what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, which is like gives me some of the context. It's sort of a historical perspective of who, who you are. But I'm there's also this aspirational component of like when you're not on Earth, there's sort of this future that you're talking about. What is it that motivates you there? Well, you know, that that has evolved over time, right? And and let me go back to it. And I probably talked about it a little bit. I remember when I was in college, one of the the dreams and aspirations I had was for my great grandmother to live long enough to see me graduate from college. Because I knew that, you know, it was a place that she would have been forbidden to even attend um, unless she was in some some form of a janitorial, possibly uh, custodian position. And uh, it was my dream, you know, through college was to ask the Lord to allow her to live to see me graduate from college. You know, when I think about today, back to the evolution, it is now not about me or not about my ancestors. It's about, you know, uh, my kids now. And, and how do I lay enough groundwork for them to be successful? I will share with you, just as I've shared with them, my goal in life now is to prepare them to live without me. Because the intent is, you know, if there's a natural order of life, you know, I will be, I won't be among them at some point in time. And so my goal is focused on being sure they have the skill set and 
you know, wherewithal to be successful that when their father is not here, again, hoping that the natural order of life happens, that they have the, the ability to be successful and to um, proceed with their own lives and whatever that is that they want to do and to pursue. So I would tell you, Tom, it's evolved over time, but you know, there are different stages of life where we where our outlook really changes based on you know what's going on and what's important to us. Mm, that's such a such a powerful story. Uh, this was your great grandmother? Yes. Mm. And you actually said I asked the Lord. So there's a faith element a- too. A- absolutely. And and the irony is my grandmother had already passed um, her daughter. And so she was one to see, unfortunately, the unfortunate order of life change for her. And ironically, that my mother did live to see me um, graduate from college, but my mother ended up passing before my great-grandmother passed, too. So we've seen kind of the, the order of life get out of uh, kilter in our family. But, but um, yeah, that was something that was very important to me at that point in time. Mm, wow. Wow. That's amazing. And um, so as you think about, you know, this mindset for leadership and, and you've got a, obviously a wonderful team and a growing team, as I understand, I think you guys are growing outside of Michigan now, which yes. is wonderful. Um, talk a little bit about that. And, and in the context of, you know, how do you create a, a culture, a high performing culture where people can show up and, and be their best? Well, I, 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 I'm still working on that, Tom. I can't tell you I know the answer to that, to be candid with you, but it goes back to principles of trying to treat people with respect. Um, it goes back to identifying, you know, what is it that's the aspiration of the team and hopefully have individuals to buy into the vision of the team. Uh, you have to try to be consistent with what you say and what you do. Um, am I successful at that every single day? Absolutely not. Um, do we veer off the track some left and right? Probably so, but hopefully true north stays kind of true north in that regard. And so we've been working on this now for about four years. Um, the ideal of, of even thinking about now what, where we are, which is now we are going to have, uh, say, territory beyond the state's line, which means we are somewhat going national, if you want to use that very loosely. Um, is a really big deal for us for a bank that has a history that has been around for 50 plus years. And so, you know, the, the intent is there to try to, again, uh, be a servant, be, be available to try to break down barriers. Uh, again, I can't tell you I have the secret formula of success in this, but I've tried to emulate things that I have seen work for others and try to learn from those and to try to incorporate those in what our true north is. Mm. Well, I think in a way you actually do have the secrets. Uh, you may not realize it, but you know, in, in the work that we do with clients all across the country, and we've worked with now probably ten thousand plus executives, obviously many CEOs. Um, we always talk a lot about it's not so much what you're doing; it's who you're being. And what I get from our short time together is that you are very candid, you're very open, you're very honest. You're you're not pretending like you've got it all figured out, um, and you're built on the foundation of, of principles and values. And in a way, that's that's 90% of the work, I think. What do you think? Well, I, I agree with you. That gets back to the point I mentioned earlier, trying to be consistent. You know, we have talked about um, things in a way that hopefully has been consistent. We focused on two values of, of teamwork and communication. 
And in some cases, we've had to, you know, not have individuals work anymore with us who don't, you know, kind of demonstrate those behaviors. Um, and so, yeah, that that is a part of it, but it is not kind of the if you do these one, two, three, four, five things, then it's perfect is, is what I was trying to articulate. Uh, so, again, that's a little bit moving left and right, but trying to stay on a true north. Yeah, yeah, there is no there is no secret formula for the the work of leadership, right. it's a never ending journey. And so long as you keep growing, you'll, you'll keep getting better. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what, what it excites you about the, the, the future? I know, you know, you're, you're, um, we're just, uh, wrote a book. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, but then also talk to us about what's got you excited for the future. Well, I, I would tell you part of what we are writing about or we have written about in the book has me quite excited. Uh, when you think about the challenges that we face as a country, one of them has dealt with or is dealing with this whole idea of the wealth gap, and particularly along the lines of race, Caucasian versus African-American. And, you know, we have been thinking about that now for a few years and, and really been working on this book for over two writing about some of the areas we believe we can certainly try to shore up on this effort. Will it close the gap? Absolutely not. But we believe it's fundamental to have people understand the importance of having a will, a healthcare directive, and a power of attorney. And so our story is really about that. For some people, they may call it estate planning. We try to focus it on, on it as being part of your legacy planning. Because what we believe is that many individuals, regardless of if you're rich or if you're poor, many people don't think that this applies to them. And so what we're trying to do with the book is say, hey, it does apply to you. And guess why? It applies to you because I know you care about those loved ones who will be left behind when you leave this earth. And so many of us spend most of our working hours uh, acquiring things that we want to be sure that they pass in a manner that's efficient. Um, with less friction, meaning without loss of value. And so that's what the book is all about. And we're very excited about that because we believe we can change a lot of lives of families, um, uh, mitigate some of the acrimony that happens when things aren't taken care of, when someone leaves a family in a manner that creates, you know, uh, friction in relationships also. So uh, we're very excited about that in, in the way we've written about that in the book. And Tom, I'll tell you, we also created a technology platform that will allow individuals for a very, very low cost um, at the retail level for $49.95 a year. You can basically upload your will, healthcare directive, and power of attorney. All of it can be uploaded. You can have the individual that you want to have access to it, have it today, or they can get it later upon your demise, uh, all emails so they don't have to go to your house and search through your papers and figure out where things are. All of that can be stored electronically for a very low and affordable cost. So we've not only talked about this as something we're excited about, we brought a solution to the table that individuals can use and now implement going forward. Mm, that's really neat. What's the name of the book? The name of the book is Prepared Before I Let Go. Prepared Before I Let Go. Okay. Yes. And did you write it with someone else or? Yes, I, I did. I, I had someone to help me with the writing on that. and. Um, a uh, gentleman by the name of Anthony Neely was part of okay. that process. Okay. So they could find it under your names. Great. Yes. You know, what I, what I just, just this, just making this thought up as we're speaking here, but it seems brilliant in many ways because, you know, you, I, didn't, I would never have taught, 
tied the wealth gap to, to those concepts. But what you're really, I think, pointing to is that we have to change people's mindsets. You know, if we try to go to work on fixing the wealth gap, we're going to have all sorts of, frankly, uh, band-aid solutions that have horrible unintended consequences, you know? Yes. Um, whereas if we can help people have a different mindset, whether it's, like you said, whether they're rich or poor, you know, to think about what's your legacy, what's your legacy planning, and that no matter how much money you have, just thinking that way can actually change your decisions that you make over the course of a lifetime. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's fundamental things, um, Tom, and I didn't document some of these in the book, but, you know, the ideal of someone working all their life and having a pension, um, being sure that their, um, you know, beneficiaries are properly listed on that. We have seen cases where that's not the case, and it especially impacts when there are second marriages. And, and you, you may be giving up what you worked all your life for because that wasn't taken care of. Going through this type of process and what we put together in My Legacy Items, which is the name of the platform, allows for you to account for that in such a manner that, guess what, you've, met, you've remarried and upon your demise, you know, your new spouse now have access to um, this pension fund uh, or the pension that you have that will remain, you know, with them until they their demise. And so, you know, those are simple things you don't think about. But, you know, if you add, let's just say someone's getting whatever, $20,000 a year in a pension, multiply that across the life of the, the uh, remaining spouse, and that's husband and or wife, just to be clear, uh, the remaining spouse who may live for another 10 or 15 years, you multiply that number, it's a pretty big number. So that's the kind of thinking, to your point, that we are trying to engage in with bringing up the dialogue so that these things aren't taboo and individuals are willing to speak about them. The other item I would tell you that I learned about in this process of the, of the writing and the research is the fact that when our kids turn 18, they are truly legal adults, which means that upon if they're incapacitated, whether that's through a car accident or an illness, and somehow find themselves in a hospital where they can't speak for themselves, the hospital might have to end up going to court to get an order to determine what needs to be done that's compliant with law. Just because they are still dependent upon you, meaning that maybe you're taking care of them financially and they're in college, doesn't necessarily give you the right to make a decision whether they should be resuscitated or not, or who they want to have make that decision on being resuscitated. So those are things that we don't think about as parents because they're our kids and we still treat them like kids, sometimes even until they're 40 and 50 years old. But the reality is, you know, that is a demarcation point where we really need to start talking about this issue because we need to be sure families are protected and are never in the position where they have to have someone else, you know, intervene in making a decision on behalf of, of their child or on behalf of the family. Wow, that is fascinating. I I didn't know that. Um, I'm gonna go talk to Jessica about that as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a real issue. So I'm raising my hand. I have one of my kids have have completed hers, and I've talked to my son about it. And my point is, it's just not natural, right? You don't just yeah. wake up one day and say, "Hey, you're 17, you're 18 years old. Guess what? One day you might have to have a living will, which means you know you might die on a table. You may not be capacitated." Do you want to have them resuscitate you? I mean, 
those are yeah. topics that that's just not common for us to have even around the dinner table. And to your point that you mentioned earlier, part of this whole legacy discussion is to change our mindsets around it because it's no different than a business decision, right? It's back to being the CEO of yourself. Um, how do you how do you want to quote run the business, so to speak? Do you want it hanging out there so someone has to intercede or the law has to intercede and make that decision? Or do you want to be willing to go ahead and face that and button it up in such a manner that you don't have to deal with that complicated issue? And now what I want to be clear about is the law is different in all 50 states of what and what can and cannot be done. So I'm not making a blanket statement across all 50 states. But the point is, you know, the way our software is driven, it, it really applies to the state's um, compliance for each of the, of the 50 states. And, and what I'm trying to say here is, most importantly, there are things like that that are underlying in state law um, that many of us are not even aware of. And then we find out when we're in that position and then it's entirely too late to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's uh, like you said, it's not a very commonplace discussion, but boy, oh boy, it, it's uh, be really important if it comes into your life and absolutely thoughtful and proactive. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it remi- well, that's like one of the examples of things that we have to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, and it also shifts, you know, people's mindsets around savings, you know, in this country, we we're not very good at that in general. We need to have a, uh, we, we tend to spend more than we make. And so you're now you're talking about, if I, if I think about the legacy of my life and being able to pass on wealth, no matter how much money I make, uh, to, to have a more of a saver's mindset um, in day-to-day weekly decisions is a life changer. It literally changes the trajectory of your life. And so so let me give you an example of, of a part of my book that I write about. It's one of the, the greatest stories, to be candid with you, in the book. It's about a lady named Osceola McCarthy. Um, she lived to be maybe in her 90s or 80s or so from Mississippi. Uh, her occupation was identified as washerwoman, meaning she basically washed individuals' clothing for a living. And at, um, late in her life, she basically decided she wanted to have an impact. And she made a donation to the University of Southern Mississippi around the dollar amount of about $150,000. And it was one of the largest individual type contributions to the university. And in fact, it inspired so many people. I think they ended up, others contributed to that endowment to make it 500,000, I believe was the final number at that point in time. So that students could really start to live off of the scholarships associated with her endowment. She was able to live to see some of the individuals who um, who were recipients and and scholarship um, reward award winners of her scholarship. Her the impact she had was so impactful that the president of the United States acknowledged her for what she did. She was interviewed nationally. Um, Again, here's a lady who was identified as a washerwoman. So we probably can only imagine what her salary was. Probably meager would be an understatement. But the point I'm making is she became exactly what you said. She was a saver. She was a legacy creator. And so if you go to the University of Southern Mississippi now and you say the name Osceola McCarthy, it is as highly regarded as any other name in and around that university. And one of the most telling components of this, I'll tell this part of the story in the book, was that she, when she was being interviewed nationally, someone said to her or asked her the question, didn't you want to do something for yourself with all of that money? 
And she looked at them and smiled and she said, I just did. You know, the giving of that and the endowment of that scholarship for minority students there at the University of Southern Mississippi was kind of this, this, this gift to herself, even though it was done in a very uh, a, a selfless manner. So uh, it's a great story, but it's one of those that we wrote about because to your point, is thinking about legacy, is thinking about impact, uh, which you, you can't get that if you buy a Corvette, right? It, it just, at, over time, that that shine fades in the car, whether it's a collectible or not, just will not shine the same as it is new. But there are lives every day now that she is no longer with us being impacted economically. And, and in a lot of ways, I would say spiritually because of what she represented and those kids kind of going through that university and living up to her expectations of being successful in our society. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's really a powerful story. It's uh, and it speaks again to mindset. You know that here is a washerwoman who's able to save money. So that mindset, I don't have money, I can't save, is 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 debunked right there. That's right? correct. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It reminds me. I read The Millionaire Next Door when I was in when in high school. Uh -huh. a great book and it's similar stories you know how most people who are millionaires are not the ones you expect it's not the person in the fancy that's right. car it's that's right it's the person driving the 20 year old car that that saved a million dollars not the not the person in the bentley or the the new exactly mercedes <laughs> that, that's exactly right and um that was one of my favorites by charles Gibbons. so uh, i think i read that one back in the probably early 90s and Ironically, over the holidays, I saw it on my son's desk upstairs and, and he's reading it himself. Well, he has been, had been reading it previously, but I saw it was freshly placed on his desk. So it tells me he picked it up and he's been looking at it also. Yeah, well, that's great. It's no wonder uh, you and for the listeners out there, we uh, we met through my wife, Jessica. Um, Jessica's company, Pocket Nest, is a, is a financial platform. You know, it's looking to help people to get their financial house in order, you know, using a, an app and trying to simplify things for people that this is not something you need to pay millions of dollars for. This is not out of reach. Anybody can do this. It just creates, it just takes a little bit of effort, you know, a little bit of energy and a little bit of help, um, which is what the, the app is for. So it's a wonder you guys hit it off so well. Um, so uh, time flies by as it, as it always does. Um, Maybe just close us out with a, a book recommendation besides your own. You gave us that one, but what what book sort of helped help shape your life or maybe still is shaping your life that you would recommend to the listeners? Wow, that, that's a, a, a pretty good one. There's one that I think all people should read, and it's one of those that um, just teaches a little bit about principles. It's a, it's a book by the name of Influence. Um, I think the, the author's name is Robert Caldini, I believe is his name, but he talks about the how we how do we influence others and how we are influenced. And there are roughly six principles of that. And I won't get into all of those. But the point I want to make is he used a lot of stories like I just shared with you to help prove a point. You know, and, and so it's something as simple of, of social proof um, or reciprocity and how or liking. How do how do we use those principles to be able to effectively communicate and build influence and how in some cases it helps us um, be easily influenced? Um, you know, the, the idea that we typically uh, will respond in a consistent manner 
you know, if, if someone says, you know what, I'm a man about town, I do this and I do that and I do this, so to speak, whether that's going to the theater or to plays or other things. And then someone sets you up by saying, you know what, I have two tickets to sell to go to a play. You're not going to say, you know what, I don't want to buy those tickets. You normally it is used on us in a way to sell to us. And so my point is, uh, I found that book to be very um, inspiring to read because it tells of a lot of cases where not only was this used for good, but in some cases it was used for, for the negative. And one other final story from that book, it talks about Watergate and how the Watergate took place, almost a consistency principle, right? Which is that, uh, you know, individuals had asked originally for a million dollars to do what they were trying to do with Watergate. And everybody said it was a dumb idea. Individuals, again, asked for like $500,000. And they said, this is a dumb idea. We're not going to do this. But because they kept coming back and asking this last time, they asked for 250000 I believe, was the number to be able to do this. You know, it was one of those where individuals looked away and say, you know what, that, that's just, you know, they just kind of wanted to get the, 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 the noise out of the room and acquiesced to the ideal, thinking that it was not going to be damaging and this was something that was small and it's just, you know, not a big deal. Well, it turns out to be a historic moment in our country. Um, but the point I'm making is that the principle of what took place there and how they got to that decision is discussed in this book. And it, it goes to show how even us, you know, individuals as humans can have the greatest of intentions but sometimes we can fall short by having a negative impact just because of the way things happen to us. And so I've, I've enjoyed that book and just thought it was one that uh, I think is one that fits your readers um, in a way that hopefully they can find some good out of it. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful, wonderful talking to you, Kenneth. I appreciate your time today and for all the wonderful nuggets you shared with us. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been great being with you.